Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Money and Me with me, Michelle Martin. We are speaking today with Tony Sycamore, APEC analyst for City Index. Good morning, Tony. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. I'm very well, thank you. All right. Let's start with U.S. markets. Uh, investors sold off overnight. Tony, what is the narrative dominating the market? Is this profit-taking that we're seeing after several days of gains or concerns about that inverted yield curve? Well, I actually think it's none of the above, if I could say that. I think potentially we have seen a little bit of profit-taking. Potentially we saw hopes rise in the early part of this week. We uh, heard there was good signs coming from peace talks in Turkey between Moscow and and the Ukraine. And there was also signs or or, or reports that Russia would pair back activities in Kiev and, and, and Geneva. And the very next day, we have a situation where Russian forces have shown little determination to, to move away. And in fact, they're bombing the outskirts of Kiev again. So I think there's been a little bit of disappointment. Positive signs emerging from the peace talks, emerging from the Russian side. Listen, we're going to, we're going to focus on the eastern, you know, the east. And the fact that that didn't actually happen, or at this point still hasn't happened, prompted some profit-taking, as you said. Um, the two tens, I think, is certainly playing a factor. I mean, it is extremely closely watched, I am looking more at where real yields are, and that curve hasn't gone anywhere near the inversion levels you're seeing in the nominal rate. So for me, it's something which is getting a lot of noise, a lot of attention, but I'm not putting too much uh, precedence on that. To me, it's still the fact where, where you know, the stocks are climbing a wall of worry. We've got hawkish central banks. We've got commodity prices, which are going through the roof. We've got German inflation at record highs overnight, up around 7.9%. So many things for the market to be concerned about yet it continues to push higher. But the reason it's pushing higher and those concerns are generally emerging from this war in Europe. And that really remains the key for me as, as, as to where next for stocks. We've, we've seen a very large short covering rally. Um, the US data has been quite strong, quite resilient through this period, bearing in mind we're only six weeks into the war. Mm. Um, so at this point in time, there's a lot of factors playing out. All right, Tony, what are the possible outcomes that you see? You know, investors are watching the Ukraine-Russian negotiations very closely. Um, In terms of the different scenarios that could pan out, what is top of mind for you and where could markets go in some of these situations? Yes, well, we we do know wars are notoriously unpredictable and this one, we're now into our sixth week. So my sense is that we're a lot closer to the start of the war than the end of the war, unfortunately. And when I think about how this might actually finish, to me, the most logical resolution is that there has to be some concession on both sides. We know that because the the Russians want to take something from this. Otherwise, President Putin, he's not going to be very popular back home. And we know that Zelensky has absolutely mobilised and united the West and his country and he's not going to want to give too much away as well. But at the end of the day, we see what's happening in towns like Mariupol, and it's just been levelled, it's been flattened, and there is considerable humanitarian dis- you know, distress. And, and that will be playing a part in Zelensky's mind. So potentially he may look to give up the Donbass region, um, and that would be something which he would be loath to do because it is an area very rich in resources, commodities, but that would signify a win for Putin. And 
I think that's where the market is now focused on. I think if you polled enough people, the resolution that most would agree on is that the Russian forces withdraw, but they get to keep the Donbass region and potentially a land bridge out to Crimea. But how that is playing out in markets, I think that's largely priced to a degree. If there was a full withdrawal from Russian troops from Ukraine territory, that would be an outstanding result for markets. You'd see commodities sell off. You'd see inflation concerns ease. You'd see central banks winding back there or walking back their hawkish rhetoric and stocks would push to new all-time highs. Under the central case, which I just put forward in that Russia would keep the Donbass and potentially a land bridge to Crimea, that to me suggests stocks are going to remain in a range. They're not going to push up above that all-time high we saw at the end of last year. I think that bull market high from November holds fast. And by the same token, I think the range lows that we saw earlier this year probably hold as well. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's move from the, you know, a possible face savings end scenario for both sides. So I suppose worst case scenario, uh, China joining this war, joining the fray. China is Russia's most important ally. It's been warned not to support Russia or to bear the consequences. China, a lot of analysts say, have its own problems to worry about. There's financial stress from its property sector, unprecedented levels there, uh, a brittle economy. Uh, lockdowns, for example, in, Shang- in Shanghai that it's dealing with. Mm-hmm. So some analysts that we're saying, uh, that we're speaking with, say, Beijing is unlikely to aggressively support Russia. And one sign of this hesitance we saw yesterday, China's state-run Sinopec group suspending talks for a major petrochemical investment and a gas marketing venture over in Russia. What are your thoughts? Do you see China helping Russia to extend this war? And what could be the ramifications for China if they do so? And... and market reaction to that? Well, it's a great question. And for us here in the, in, in the Pacific region, it's the biggest concern that we have because it's a lot closer to home. And I don't think there's any mistake. China is the senior partner, partner in, this, in this partnership. If you recall, before the invasion, the Beijing Olympics, there was the Russian president and the Chinese president agreed or signed an unlimited support agreement for each other. And I think what's happened now is, as you mentioned, this outbreak of COVID, there's other situations now affecting China, and China's now hedging its bet. But I don't think its intentions have strayed too far away from the fact it does want to support Russia. At this point of time, it's got things which are probably taking a little bit more of its attention in the short term. But in the medium term, I don't think there's any doubt that Russia and China are firmly aligned. And that's the biggest concern that I think we have in this region, also globally as well, because what we've seen is NATO and the US basically align to, 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 against Russia, supplying troops, supplying weapons, supplying aid. But if that became a situation which we're now fighting on two fronts and potentially China might look to take or move into Taiwan, that's something which would absolutely unravel markets completely and utterly. And we do not want to see that, not from the the market side of things or the humanitarian side of things. But in terms of where it sits on the probability scale, it's not inconsequential. We're probably talking about a 25% chance, somewhere between 10 and 25%, which is a tail risk we need to be extremely aware of. Um, At this point of time, we're probably a little bit fortunate that the COVID situation in Shanghai, 25 million people in lockdown following the previous lockdown in other regions, that seems to be derailing probably the, the, the focus from what is happening in the Ukraine at the moment for Chinese authorities. So 
To me, they're hedging their bets, they're buying times. Perhaps that aligns with what we saw from Putin and the Russian forces saying, listen, we're going to regroup, we're going to go back and focus on the Eastern Territories. Um, potentially, they're just buying time, and, and that's something which the markets aren't going to like. If we're still in this situation in six months' time, it is not a good situation at all to be in. We have to start looking at sector-specific areas, which will do well. We know that a lot of the countries have upped their defence budgets. They're going to spend closer to 2 to 3% of their GDP. Obviously, your defence stocks will do very, very well from that. And in terms of a regional perspective, then the Australian stock market, I mean, that's been absolutely on fire over the past month. Um, we're talking about a gain of around 7% for the month, which is just it's, it's in absolute beast mode right now. But that is because investors need to get exposure to commodities and energies in case this war does become a more drawn out state of affairs. All right. Oil analysts believe the market's going to struggle to find enough supply in coming months as Russian exports are expected to fall anywhere from one to three million barrels a day. At the same time, we're looking at news of the Biden administration uh, weighing, releasing one million barrels of oil a day for several months from its strategic petroleum reserve. We're also looking ahead to the OPEC plus meeting a little later today. Where do you see oil heading? Well, to answer the OPEC question first, I don't think OPEC's going to deviate from its plans or just greenlight its already its plans to increase production by 400,000 barrels per day in June. That's going to be green, uh, given the green light. The bigger question, as you mentioned, is we've just had news probably about two hours ago that the Biden administration is looking to release reserves from its strategic holdings. And that is significant. Now, if we think about the actual state of play for Russian oil imports globally or exports, whichever way you're looking at it, it's about 8 million barrels per day. I'm assuming, or I think most people are assuming, that the embargoes and sanctions that have been placed on Russia have seen those imports drop to about 4 million barrels per day. Now, that leaves quite a shortfall. This 1 million barrels a day that the Biden administration is talking about probably isn't enough to reverse what we've seen. It might see crude oil we could see that it's fallen from $107.50 before that announcement came out earlier this morning, down to around $102 per barrel. There, That's about right for me. I think if they were going to offset all of that $4 million, uh, $4 million barrels per day, then potentially we could see oil fall back below $90, maybe even towards $80. But at this point in time, they're only going to offset a quarter of that lost Russian supply. Now, this is a situation it's been speculated on for probably about, I guess, four or five weeks that you might see something like this. Potentially, it's feasible to see the, the size of the release increase to one and a half million dollars, uh, one and a half million barrels per day. That would certainly help. Maybe it gets oiled down below a hundred dollars. But right now, I think it's not enough. It's not enough what we're seeing to get oil below $100. Certainly it's enough to keep it below 110 but probably not enough to get it below $100 for any period of sustained time. All right, just a question on Bitcoin. Russia says it's considering accepting Bitcoin for payment for its oil and gas exports from friendly countries. What do you think this is going to do for Bitcoin? You write in your note Bitcoin is trading flat forty-seven around $47,000. Yes, well, Bitcoin has is still a risk asset. And, and equities, as we know, have had a very strong rally from the lows in March. And Bitcoin has started to respond to that. It's pushed up. It traded to its highest level this year, just about $48,000 earlier this week. 
So there's that risk element aspect of it, which has supported Bitcoin. The second aspect of it is we had Pavel Zalvani, who's the head of the Russian State Duma Committee on Energy. He came out at the end of last week talking about how countries friendly to Russia could pay in lira or rubles or Chinese yuan. And then at the end of the interview, almost as an afterthought, he said, and you can also pay in Bitcoin. Mm. And that, I'm not sure whether he actually thought through the mechanics of this or how it would actually work, but that certainly gave Bitcoin a lift as well. Where Bitcoin sits currently, it's been capped by the 200-day moving average at 48,300. So a lot of people ask, hey, you know, cryptocurrencies, can they be traded using technical analysis? Well, a very simple 200-day moving average shows that the rally has stalled ahead of that 200-day moving average at 48,300. Um, from here, I think further progress to the upside for Bitcoin will be dependent on what happens now to the equity market. I think the equity market, as I mentioned, based on that central scenario that the war drags on, is that equities don't go on to make new high, all-time highs. US equities I'm talking about don't go on to make new all-time highs, at least in the next three to four months. We've got to be mindful that April is a strong month for equities, but then we come into that seasonally weak period from May through to August, where equities generally start to struggle. That old saying, sell in May and go away. You can go back and look at the numbers there through the US stock market, through the Australian stock market, through the Japanese stock market, and you'll definitely notice that it is a seasonally weaker period for global equity markets. So I'm not ruling out a push higher in US stocks, which could get Bitcoin potentially a little bit higher over the next four weeks. But in the longer term, I think it's probably going to struggle to get much above 52,000 purely for the reason I think equities are coming up towards the high, probably in late April, and then they start to trade sideways to a little bit lower. All right. Always great speaking with you, Tony. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Michelle. Tony Sycamore there, APEC analyst for City Index, joining me on Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.